So I have a confession. All right. How long has it been since your last confession? (laughs) In this case, uh, I don't know because I'm really bad at keeping up with local elections because I didn't vote today. (laughs) Ooh, all right. We got ourselves a Uh non-voter, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone. I just didn't. I had a rough week last week during early voting, and then I was traveling all day today, and there was just no fucking way I was going to go out there and, and stand in line for two hours. And then record this show. So, Dude, that's rough. Abby voted today. You know, some people like to vote on election. That's your thing, you know. Do it. But I don't have as much respect if it's like, you usually don't vote on election. You just put it off till then. Like, just kind of, you know. It's like a <laughs> slacker. Uh, but she voted today and was back in like 30 minutes. So I guess, you know, she was lucky. It depends. Yeah, I, it, it probably wasn't that bad. Someone said the line was fine like a... F- I don't know, it was like at four or something, but I was worried because I, I got home like right around five and I was like, it's going to be a lot of people getting off work going to vote. So I just didn't. And you know what? Fuck it. This this is my like, this is my little corner of the internet where I get to be bad. So Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to post this on my main, but I can talk about it with you guys. <laughs> you guys are cool. <laughs> you guys are in the loop. So that was actually going to be my opening bit too. This is so we're going to be belated with this because when we release it, it'll be Thursday. But now, it's election night, night in America. Woo. Every communist's favorite day. Oh, yeah, we're very into it, <laughs> as you can tell. Uh, so you didn't vote. Nope. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah, don't I voted. Good for you, man. I mean, oh, I probably mean? should have, but really. Know. Uh, I, was, Kyle I was wondering that. It. What are your, th- well, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you, you know, what was your response or like, what's, what are your thoughts for the audience voting? Okay, I don't feel like it's going to make that much of a difference considering like where I live. Like, you know, like my district mm-hmm. is blue enough, honestly, without me needing to worry about it too much. But also, like, the governor race is pretty fucking lost here. Like, there's no fucking way. Like, it'd have to be like. A plague that only hit Republicans happened <laughs> for for Beto to pull out a win. So I just I didn't feel like it was necessary, and I was having a rough time. So I was just like, it's just not worth it to me right now. What do you think they would put on their doors? So if you had like an old like a Old Testament Exodus Exodus style, yeah, plague that you know you had to <laughs> smear the blood on the door. What do you think the Democrats would? smear oh. on their door to get it to pass over them if you asked a QAnon person they would still say blood but it'd be like <laughs> children's blood, blood still, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, cold cold brew coffee maybe oh yeah uh starbucks latte easy yeah okay well the republicans or like starbucks kombucha mm-hmm. yeah that was a very 20 like late 2000s like latte sipping liberal meme yeah for you kids out there that's what they used to say about liberals (laughs) they're latte sipping Uh, like everyone does that now yeah yeah (laughs) uh okay so you don't have a thought on it that's similar to me is like dude vote or don't vote i did because i got out early that day that i vote early voted and i was like why not it was not a long wait and I was like, I'm not doing any good. I'm not doing any. It's a neutral really, act. I don't think. <laughs> I mean, there's an argument that you're 
providing legitimacy to the system overall by voting. Like, I get that. Maybe that's right, to be honest. But I just wanted to. I just felt like, why not do? Why not do that? You know. At this point in my life, it's like ninety percent funded by guilt, and like I don't like that. I don't do a lot of things out of guilt anymore. I left that behind. <laughs> no, what you got to do is transfer over to like change those feelings over to spite. Like I didn't mm. vote for anybody on that i was only voting against motherfuckers i was like oh yeah you no <laughs> fuck, you, you. fuck you fuck you fuck you i like vote that for the better person with the best chance against you and yeah it's like yeah i don't endorse these guys because they're just lousy they're Democrats, terrible but like they're, it's funny it'd be funny if they beat the republicans it, okay i'll do so. things if they're funny so that's a good metric <laughs> yeah so that was my reasoning behind it you know if you're if you're thinking of local officials that you hate you can do the same thing. You can just be okay, like, oh, that's fair. I'm going to vote against them. You know, that's fair. I mean, I would like to tip Greg Abbott's wheelchair into a volcano with him inside of it. So yes, definitely throw the whole man into a volcano. Please. I saw this like someone, one of the queer eye guys shared this uh, post about like voting isn't marriage. It's not like it's the one that you're choosing. It's like public transportation. It'll get you closer to where you want to be. And I'm like, well, that's a great metaphor because, like, our public transportation was like bought and sold by capitalism. So, yeah, yeah. that's why it's in it's shambles. Been gutted. Yeah, it's been gutted <laughs> ten times over. It's a shadow of its former self. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't know if you meant for that to. Ha- it's not like anyone out here is like our public transit's so great in America. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Do you have any predictions? Late predictions. Do you, Do you want to you know show your whole ass and say? <laughs> Uh, this is what I thought was going to happen and then be proven wrong or right later. I I have no, I <laughs> head empty, no thoughts. I spent my weekend just eating my way through Denver and reading fantasy novels instead of the reading we were supposed to do. <laughs> All right. Exhibit A, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone. Uh, the himbo the at work. <laughs> The healthiest American, to be honest. <laughs> Just uh, be a Vembo like me. <laughs> that's the best approach. Uh, maybe not the not reading theory part. I mean, like read theory, but... Uh, I tried. We'll talk about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but not paying attention to the whole thing, probably the best approach. Yeah, I have no idea. My predictions are that the... Well, it's actually going to be pretty ill-informed because I don't know if part of my prediction counteracts the other part. Because I don't actually know the math. But from what I understand, it seems like the Republicans are probably just going to take both. They're going to take the Senate. They're going to take the House. <laughs> Why am I laughing? That's very bad. Yeah, it's bad. But like oh. Biden will go in and veto very mm-hmm. bad stuff, probably, if he's Sentient. got the brain cells that day. <laughs> yeah, you know, if he's, if he's not reliving some, you know, illicit act from his youth. I saw like he popped up on my feed the other day and I like recoiled. I was like, who's this ghoul? (laughs) It was a physical reaction. Yeah. You, you expect him to say something like out of fallout or something like, (laughs) what are you, what are you doing? Smooth skin. (laughs) Too many rats. (laughs) Uh, But the specific races that everyone's been talking about, I think. Okay. uh, Okay. The Pennsylvania race. Sure. uh, I bet that Fetterman's going to win. I don't yeah, know who that is. Fetterman's the Democrat. He's the guy who had a stroke. Uh, and then everyone's talking like, oh, he he's very affected by the stroke because he was in like a debate or something versus Dr. Oz. Oh, my God. Um, I forgot about Dr. Oz. 
So I think Fetterman will pull that out. Yeah. Just because that's literally Dr. Oz. But, you know, I mean, we literally had Donald Trump. Being yeah, president. yeah. There's no bar anymore. <laughs> the bar is just shattered on the floor. The other one, uh, Warnock versus Walker in Georgia. So Herschel Walker, Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, lots of stuff has come out that he's paid for multiple girlfriends to have abortions. Okay. But is Sounds very, rad. <laughs> yeah, but is very pro-life. Oh, okay. He also that talks about how like he has, you know, pulled guns on people and stuff. <laughs> like he just he just goes off on wild tangents because okay. probably because of CTE or something. Probably. It'd be really funny though if he's like open about paying for their abortions was like, "Yeah, I'm really pro-abortion. Look how many abortions <laughs> I funded." <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 like, but he's like, oh, no, I'm still pro-life, but yeah. I was Michigan, so it's fine. Like, he was just oh mask God. off. But, um, I don't know. I feel like Warnock will win that one because he's well-liked. His positives are good. Wait, he's which, like which a, one? Is that the non-crazy guy? Right, yeah. Raphael okay. Warnock, he's like a minister. I don't see him getting taken down. Okay. But that's just stupid horse race stuff. Who just knows? a little throwing it out there for you guys. If someone there was interested. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a poli sci major. You can't take the poli sci out of the boy <laughs> um, at the end of the day. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I'm so far removed from it. Like I, I hear about it tangentially on social media, and that's it. That's all I got was just a bunch of just Instagram stories yelling at me to go vote, and me being like, "Yeah, I'm busy." <laughs> that's the best approach. Like it, it's really stupid stuff. I just you know have a little bit of a mind disease in terms of wanting to pay attention to this. I stupid mean, election stuff it's like sports it's it's the sports <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, that's it's sports for yeah very good yeah that's what it is <laughs> <laughs> all right shall we get into the actual why we're here yeah i need you to explain this book to me it was too hard for my vembo brain apparently <laughs> no once so basically i hadn't gotten that far whenever you first texted me and said this is dense <laughs> yeah that was the word i used and as I went further into it, I was like, okay, I see what they mean. Uh, <laughs> I think I made it to chapter three. <laughs> and then I was like, I, then I texted you. I was like, we got to figure out a plan B here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so we'll figure it out as uh, I've got kind of summaries as, so we can, we can go through it and ooh, this, this will essentially be more of a TLDR translation. Great. I could use for, that everyone yeah because <laughs> including me to be honest uh this is rosa luxemburg's social reform or revolution written in two parts in 1900 and in 1908 and rosa's got a style that is <laughs> quite mm, didactic or she'll kind of like make a point and then really harp on it so like you can take chapters you know a, a whole chapter of this pamphlet because they did pamphlets and chapters back then i guess and break it down into basically three points for the whole thing you know you know okay well she said three things here basically (laughs) just with a lot of evidence so okay okay i mean from the chapters that i read and what i was able to parse from it that did seem like the case i was like is did she just take that whole time to say that this thing she said at the beginning yes okay yeah 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 (laughs) that happens a lot here all right uh do we want to do a little bit about Rosa Luxemburg's background? Yeah, just give me a quick little, you know, top of the Wikipedia bio. Rosa Luxemburg, born in Poland in 1871 uh, to kind of liberal Jewish parents. 
joined the socialist party in Poland there, or like one, a socialist party there in high school called Proletariat. Nice. So it started early. Uh, the party was soon crushed because it was trying Not to organize nice. a general strike. So, you know, I mean, if you guys are in high school, you can organize general strikes. Holy uh, shit. If you didn't know, you know, you can do that. <laughs> right. But yeah, her, her life, she was a theorist, an activist, an agitator, lived most of her life in Berlin, in Germany. Uh, she was a co-founder of the social democracy of the kingdom of Poland and Lithuania. She was also a member of the social democratic party of Germany, which is she was at the time that she wrote this is very Marxist left wing. It had like a left more revolutionary wing and like the reformist wing, which is what she's arguing against. Yeah. That one guy that she hates Bernard or Bernstein. Bernstein. That's it. (laughs) She fucking takes in a task. She is really cool though. So she's fiercely anti-war, anti-imperialism kind of calls out world war one ahead of time says like, man, these motherfuckers are heading to war. And it's bad. And she actually ends up meeting her demise right after World War I is over. She's a founder of the Spartacus League, which is like a, a rogue kind of anti-World War I socialist group split off from the Social Democratic Party, which voted for war credits. And later this group, well, there's complicated stuff, but they eventually become part of the Communist Party of Germany. At the end of World War I, there's something called the German Revolution of 1918, 1919, which we could do a whole episode on. Basically, the there's a mutiny in the army. Okay. Uh, the, because the German high command is like, let's go on a suicide mission at the end and just like go out in a blaze of glory. Okay. And the Navy is like, that's absolutely crazy. <laughs> Regular. <laughs> We're not going to like, do that. No. Right. So uh, the SPD, that's the Social Democratic Party of Germany. They're like, yeah, let's support the mutiny. Uh, they, they do this thing where there's like a rival kind of government between them and the communists. There's like Soviet kind of republics and workers councils Whoa. and everything going on at the same time that they have like kind of a parliamentary thing trying to happen. And eventually those two things grow antagonistically against each other so much that uh, the social democratic party that's trying to do this parliamentary government thing says we're not going to have these workers councils and everything we're not going to do that shit anymore the workers councils are trying to they they do something called the spartacist uprising in january 1919 which is where they try to do a general strike uh the social democrats call in the fry corps which are this right-wing paramilitary oh god oldest story in the book yeah, they crush the rebellion. They assassinate its leaders. Rosa Luxemburg uh, is tortured and killed. I mean, ain't that like a social democrat to call in fascists to beat up the communists and then be like surprised when the fascists take over? <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of where that's kind of how her life trajectory went. As far as the this text itself goes. Like you said, she's railing against this guy, Bernstein. Edward Bernstein is his name. Uh, And this is because of essentially a a divide within the Social Democratic Party. So a little brief background to this, too. In 1878, there were two failed assassination attempts on the Kaiser of the German Empire. Neither of them were members of the SPD, 
But somehow they get blamed for it anyway. Cute. Because, you know, if it weren't for them, <laughs> then these guys wouldn't go out there shooting people. All totes, this, right? totes. So they pass something called the anti-socialist laws. They ban the SPD for a long time, but it kind of backfires because everyone's like, oh, they must be cool. Uh, so it makes them more popular. <laughs> I love it. Eventually, <laughs> they repeal this in 1890. And so the SPD is trying to come back on the scene without... And then some of their members are like worried about scaring people and, oh, we don't want to do strikes and stuff because people are going to think we're too radical. And that's like Bernstein's crew. They're like, no, we don't want to, we don't want to be too mean. But Rosa Luxemburg is saying like, what are you talking about? And that's what this whole thing's about. (laughs) Okay. Okay. They're like, hey, we just got like not illegal. Like, can we, can we chill? And Rosa's like, absolutely not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Great. So let's start at the introduction. Kind of lays out the basics here rosa says that the daily struggle for reforms to help workers in their day-to-day lives is a means toward the end and the end is social revolution the workers take power for themselves and free themselves from capitalism she says this is not opposed these things work together one thing leads to the other you know, it's through the struggle that we build class consciousness, build solidarity. We practice our roles for the revolution. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Like if you are in a, a, a situation where you have, you know, no time off, like then you do not have time to like plan a revolution. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. like, that's an extreme case, but that's, that's my shitty metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're planning, you're increasing your capacity, you're realizing what you can do when you're working with your fellow people. You're realizing yourself as a class, you're making gains, and at the same time, you're running up against a wall. We were just talking about elections before. When you're participating in that, you're more active in realizing its limits, like what they will let you do and what they won't. And that will, over time, increase the numbers of people who say, this is good, but like we gotta take the next step. We gotta do revolution. So that's her initial premise. She says, okay, yeah, everyone gets that. But this guy Bernstein, he doesn't get it. He says that you don't need the the fucking final goal. He's like, we don't actually have to have socialism. We can just reform our way to, to good times. Right. Well, even more than that, he's saying that these two things that that social Democrats have always understood. And this is. Let's do a little terminology here, because we're saying social Democrats, most people have in their minds the modern terminology mm-hmm. of a reformist. But at the time, this is just a socialist. That's what I gathered. Okay. That's just their name for socialists. Right. It becomes the moderate reformist thing. That's what wins out, much to Luxembourg's chagrin. <laughs> but like, in, at the time, she's just saying like the movement, you know, the socialists, our party. Uh, She says, everybody understood that these two things are united, but Bernstein takes them apart and says, no, they're opposed. Like you can't, like if you're, if you're doing revolution is taking away from reform. If you're doing reforms, take like for some reason he divorces the two and she says, that's bad. He says, we only want to do reforms. He's forsaking the end, just focusing on the means, just saying, no, 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 no. Let's only focus on the here and now the making material gains revolution. That's not a thing. We're going to gradually build ourselves there. We're not going to ever have the moment where we say, let's throw off the shackles. We'll just, 
melt the shackles gradually. <laughs> Sorry if I'm jumping ahead, but is her one of her issues it sounded like from what I the little bit that I read <laughs> was <laughs> that if you are going down this reform only path, like you are negating the need, I guess, for socialism or like because like the the classic Marxist theory being like socialism takes off when capitalism like explodes like yeah in a bad way <laughs> right and he's she'll she'll get into more detail later but she says he says she says he says <laughs> um, <laughs> classic luxembourg says that bernstein's claim is that capitalism's not actually going to hit a general catastrophe and since it's never going to do that we should be focusing on improving it instead and making things better within it. And then gradually we're just going to like grow into socialism. Uh, and she's going to make an argument that that really undermines the whole historical process of like what we understand socialism mechanical causes to be. Yeah. Because it's like, I mean, this was in what early 1900s. So he was right in some ways. Like, yeah, I did get pretty good at adapting and like, yeah, it's still around, mm -hmm. but like we all know like collapse is coming one way or the other. If it's, it's going to be <laughs> fucking climate collapse. Like it had, it had to wait a little while. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> it's there. on its way. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That's, that's the general opposition between the two. Uh, and she, in the introduction, she also says, you know, Bernstein, he's out here saying, no, I'm a good Marxist. Like, this is Marxism. <laughs> but she's like, he's just like using that as a cover. This man is lying. This is revisionism. It will hurt the whole thing. And she also makes this point that I like in the introduction where she says, only when science and the workers, these opposite poles of society become one, will they crush in their arms of steel all obstacles to culture. I liked that bit, too. Uh, to me, that was like, you can't, her argument is you can't leave it up to the eggheads, the petty bourgeoisie to lead you, because they're going to try to take you down the petty bourgeoisie road. Like, they have class interests, you know, aside from the few traitorous bourgeois intellectuals like yeah. us. Uh, <laughs> aside from the good ones, you have, you know, generally that's going to steer you into a path, you know, like basically you have to know some theory. You don't have to like be super nerdy about it. Right. But, and it's kind of up to the party to be able to break that down to people and say like, Hey, you need to know the party line. You need to know why we do things so that assholes can't come in and steer you off in this direction and say, Oh yeah, that's socialism. Exactly. Like you need, like sometimes I think theory is kind of an intimidating term. Like I, it I, is. Yeah. I would rather we could just be like, you know, you need to be able to name the good guys and the bad guys. <laughs> you Which know? side are you on? Exactly. Like, I, that's one of the reasons I love that phrase is because it, it breaks it down so simply. And we've talked about revolutionary movements that maybe didn't have that theory. Like last week with the Champi, it's like they didn't really know who the good guys and bad guys were. They were just like, I'm unhappy. Let's let's start some shit. Let's find the first barefoot guy. We can do <laughs> Yeah, they just handed it over to him. They didn't address like the system. They just addressed. All right, like, Lando, you're it. <laughs> sure, man. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, it it's it doesn't have to be like your leader has to be a big fucking nerd or something. It's just like you have to be on the same page. Although it helps looking at you, Lennon. <laughs> I love a nerd. Don't get me wrong. 
and Castro. I mean, the guy was a lawyer. So. Mm-hmm. All right. That's introduction. It's a lot longer if you read it. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Great. Chapter one, the opportunist method. Essentially, what we're doing is I'm basically doing a running Christine summary of the people thing. Yeah, that's the plan. It'll work. <laughs> All right. So Bernstein's claim that capitalism won't decline. All right. And he's standing in the whole time that we're going to say, oh, Bernstein says this. Who the fuck cares what Bernstein thinks? Right? He died a long <laughs> time ago. But the whole this pamphlet should be read as Rosa is standing in for the the righteous, the revolutionary socialists the, the revolutionary, revolutionary communists yeah. yeah the real marxists and then bernstein is standing in for the reformists who want to crumple that all up throw it away and start doing taking the easy path in star wars terms this is the jedi versus the sith <laughs> <laughs> the good and the bad again which side are you on uh-huh. Rose's side so bernstein's you know who again who cares what he personally thinks but this is what the reformists or what kind of the easy path people will say okay so Bernstein's saying capitalism actually won't decline. There's not going to be a general catastrophe because it's getting better at adaptation and it, its production is going to become more and more varied. He offers some evidence for that, or rather Rosa spells out his evidence, which is uh, the disappearance of general crises. Uh, <laughs> That's there's, cute. There's, there's <laughs> right. I wish uh, you, the, the credit system. <laughs> Uh, employers, <laughs> organizations, and better communication will wipe away general crises. That's one evidence. Sure. Okay. Because we all know the credit system, extremely reliable, has never failed us. Never. Yeah. It's done nothing wrong. Credit's done nothing wrong. <laughs> Ask anybody. <laughs> uh, another evidence of adaptation is the tenacity of the middle classes. Uh, basically says that there's there's more differentiation of the branches of production and that more uh, working class people are pulled up into the middle classes. So this is going to help capitalism out. I mean, that was true for a while, but not anymore. Right. At the time, maybe that seemed like, and, and Rosa actually combats that even in the time. So we'll get to that in a okay. bit. She says the final piece of evidence is that due to trade unions advocating for themselves bettering the the plight of the working class that's that kind of takes the edge off too so with these three things capitalism's better t- able to adapt and not fall into a general crisis of being able to keep going we'll see <laughs> rose is really trying to just do the basics here right so that's that's his argument uh and then she says well therefore Bernstein reaches the conclusion that workers uh, should not try to take political power for themselves, but should just try to better the conditions of the working class within the existing order. The way she puts it, she quotes it, uh, it must not expect to institute socialism as a result of a political and social crisis, which Bernstein says is not going to happen but should build socialism by means of the progressive extension and social control and the gradual application of the principle of cooperation. Translation. Uh, Bernstein says no revolution, no overthrow. (laughs) We're just going to gradually build into socialism. We're going to take the ugly clay of capitalism and we're going to sculpt it into good socialism. 
how are you going to ask nicely for your rights? Like, that's not how these fuckheads work. Yeah. I mean, you could have saved Rosa, I think, an entire chapter. She talks about that. <laughs> she needed me as an editor. Well, she needs you to translate, and then I'll be like, okay, well, here's here's what you're trying Wait, to say. Wait, so you mean blah? <laughs> Just right. fuck. Yeah, we mean blah. <laughs> yeah, you got All me. All right. So Rosa's basic counter to this in the initial, this is still sort of an introduction, is like, this is a big deal because Bernstein is not saying let's slow down because capitalism's not collapsing yet. He's just saying it won't collapse. It won't happen so at he, all. He's, he's a stand for capitalism. That's bullshit. Whoa. I mean, like you're cutting to the conclusion is where she basically <laughs> says, like, oh, great. okay, he outed himself essentially as a backer of the bourgeoisie. She doesn't get to that till the end. <laughs> okay, great. But yes, great. You, uh, correct. Uh, <laughs> that's the... That's what happens. She says, this is a basic tenet of scientific socialism's analysis of capitalism is the growing anarchy of capitalism. We talked about this way back when we're doing Engels, socialism, scientific, and utopian is that term anarchy of capitalism just means like kind of the chaos of the disorganization capitalism's competition, right? It drives itself towards its own demise. Rosa says it will simply become impossible because of those fundamental contradictions that the other two tenets being more socialization of production. So like a uh, mass production more people involved in that creates kind of the germs of the future social order, socialist production being also mass production, everybody working together, just not with a boss, you know, uh, and the other tenet being the increased organization and consciousness of the proletarian class, the workers, as that grows, that's going to be what drives the actual revolution. So socialists say these three things are happening, right? Bernstein is saying one of those basic things actually is not happening. So basically Rose's criticism here is that by taking out that tenant and saying no 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 no, don't worry capitalism won't decline it's taking away the scientific basis of socialism as like a historical development as something that will like really need to happen and have like a, a drive pushing people to do it and instead says this is basically just gonna be a choice it's gonna be at best something that's nice to do something that's a good idea and so we should do it. So she's saying you're converting it from like materially necessary to idealistically a good goal. Yeah, yeah. And and it takes away, I guess, the urgency maybe is another way to say that. Like it takes away the, I think it's a helpful tool for explaining to people of like, this is an unsustainable system. I think more and more people are, you know, starting to realize that in some ways. It's a hard thing for a lot of people to let go of, but it's pretty easy to like point that out and be like, yeah, this is a fucked up system, right? Like this, this cannot go on like this. So I think if you take that, that inevitability away, like that's a huge argument you just like threw away. Yeah. Because a lot of people aren't comfortable and it's understandable that a lot of people aren't comfortable with major, fast, big, drastic changes. It's easier to get people on board when it's like, yeah, get in the lifeboat. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta like, go. Yeah, the, the, the hit the eject button. This is the escape <laughs> pod. Let's go. Everything's crashing versus, oh, don't you want to be nice to people? 
Don't you? You know, because people can come up with all sorts of rationales of like, yeah, but we should just give more money to the poor or mm-hmm. this, that, or the other. Just go you know, vote. They, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's there's a lot a lot more ways of weaseling into kind of mealy mouthed reforms if you deny the necessity of having to make a change. Okay. So I want to ask a question when they're talking about reforms and like working within the system. I, I'm a little confused on what they mean by that. Like, I, I automatically go towards electoralism just because that's what I'm familiar with. Do they also include, they talk about like people like trying to get better conditions, like workers trying to get better conditions. Are they, but that includes strikes, right? Or are they saying like you just ask? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, no, I mean, this includes all of the day to day fights that the social Democrats would be doing. So, yeah, strikes all sorts of workplace actions, pressuring people to change laws, voting for people to be easier to bully to change laws. <laughs> uh, all of these things, all, all of those. So they're not saying, like, don't strike anymore. They're just saying, don't do a revolution anymore. Well, Bern, yeah, Bernstein's Bernstein saying, is, yeah. Yeah, Bernstein's saying, focus only on those efforts. Those efforts are what will eventually get us to socialism of their own. And Rosa's saying, no, 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 I mean, do those things. That's good. That trains you. But they're limited. And the training you get in fighting for those things will help you when you fi- when everyone, when enough people finally realize, hey, we can't get it this way. We got to team up. And then we can do the revolution. Okay, cool, cool. Chapter two, the adaptation of capital. So remember, Bernstein said, don't worry, capitalism not going to fall. It's very adaptive. <laughs> this is where Rosa's like, here's why that is false. Yeah. All right, so we mentioned credit, and we had a good laugh, like, oh, credit, credit's your big answer, Bernstein. Great, great Rosa, idea. <laughs> Rosa has the same reaction. She's like, are you serious, bro? So, all right, the classical economics way and Bernstein's way of looking at it is that credit extends production, so it makes it easier to produce more shit by industrial credit. This is uh, shareholding, basically stocks. Capitalists can use each other's money to produce more or to just gamble, to speculate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it also facilitates exchange or like um, buying shit through commercial credit. So it, it kind of greases the gears of the whole system because it gives people more money. And so they can go buy commodities. Uh, remember the, the M to C to M prime thing we talked about? It just makes that happen, makes that little engine run faster. Because you can say you have fake money. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So more <laughs> people can buy commodities and get it from locked up in commodities, which is no fun. You can't buy a yacht with that. And it unleashes <laughs> it into M-Prime, which is, oh, hell yeah, I got more money. I can go do rich people things with it. Great. So that's how credit really functions. But Rosa says, that's not good for... <laughs> capitalism even itself like it does make crises more severe and more frequent so bernstein says it's good and is gonna somehow like make crises not happen but for one it increases production faster and consumption's limited i mean you can only buy so much shit so like as production increases even faster because it's like you're pouring the gasoline of credit onto this fire you're going to hit crises faster. You're going to overproduce. 
Another thing, when you hit the crisis and they start shutting the plants down, everybody's out of a job, that's when you need people to go out and, like, buy more stuff to resume demand and, like, you know, it's Keynesianism. It's, it's like, oh, let's pump up demand so everybody will start making stuff and jobs come back. Instead, credit dries up at that time. I mean, like, no one wants to lend money in an economic depression, so it dries up just at the time that you need it. <laughs> so she's like, it makes the crises worse. And like we mentioned, speculation, that's just like bad. It makes the whole thing less stable. <laughs> and she's just kind of standing there astonished that Bernstein would say, it. Like, did those he words come credit. out of your mouth? Are you serious? Uh, so credit, bad. Bad for us and bad for what it's supposed <laughs> to be good for. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like anyone can tell you, right? And when she's writing this, people are reading this and just like astonished that someone would say credit's good because there are people like on the bad receiving end of credit of, having to pay back to creditors but she's saying it's even bad on the capitalist terms like, <laughs> it's not even, even good what for what they want it for right yeah uh all right the other part is combines or trusts right yeah trusts cartels not like the drug kind but like <laughs> like monopolies kind. yeah monopolies conglomerates we would also say all these things bernstein says oh that's good it reduces the <laughs> anarchy of production what the fuck kind of socialist is like i love monopolies like what the fuck it's yeah it's it's astounding the guy sounds like a complete and utter fool uh but he says no it's gonna be good these guys are gonna team up they're gonna regulate things they're gonna avoid crises they're not gonna overproduce because it doesn't make sense for these guys you know like it's kind of like thinking Oh, you know, crime, it's going to be better because we're going to have crime families. They're going to like team up and make sure <laughs> that everybody's got their turf. You know, you got the boss of the bosses. Cosa knows, draw that. It'll work. <laughs> He's like the people that get excited when like Disney acquires new property. <laughs> like, oh, hell yeah, I get to see the Simpsons in Marvel movies. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a new section in Disney World for me. All right. <laughs> Uh, you know, not throwing too much shade if you're, you know, a Disney fan listener. Yeah, Maybe there's you. no, it's just, it's funny to see people celebrating corporate mergers. That's all. <laughs> it's all right. horrifying. Rosa says, okay, so these things are actually not good. Uh, they're a, they're a bandaid. They're, they're gonna, well, she actually argues they're gonna make things worse in the long run. All they do to alleviate crises or whatever is they... They say, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to keep some of our capital back. That's, she basically says, that's fine. As long as it's not the crisis. When, it, when you, when you come to it, when, when you eventually run up against the wall, there's not, you can't just set down the economy and say, no one's going to do anything until this thing comes back. I mean, at that point, people are going to take to the streets. So she says like, that doesn't work basically as a, as a means of fixing crises in the long run. She also says that cartels and combines and all this, uh, they aggravate several antagonisms. So this is something that I actually like about Rose's writing is that she really is very dialectic. She's all about these antagonisms. So she's always looking at processes and saying, okay, well, you got this going on and this going on. And while it's doing this, it's also doing that. Like these two things are intention. It's like the lever kind of thing. Yeah. It's so it's very like Mao will real is, is great at doing this and his theory and something I want to get into. And we read more of him uh, is like, there are things that are held in tension. This is the basic thing of dialectics 
and you can kind of see where they're moving based on their back and forth. So she says, okay, conglomerates and stuff, they aggravate the antagonism between the mode of production and the mode of exchange. What the fuck does that mean? Right. (laughs) Translation. Uh, There's there's an increasing struggle between the producers, these guys who have all teamed up and said, this is the price now, uh, versus the consumers who are like, oh, damn, everyone's teamed up against me. And and Comcast is the fucking only Internet provider in my area. Okay, so it takes away like the choice so that you are forced to pay, you know, out the ass for something. Right. So it makes that antagonism between consumers and producers worse is what she's saying. Same thing makes the antagonism between uh, the mode of production and the mode of appropriation. This means capital producing by capital and labor, right? Who gets so, so capital versus labor also made worse because the working class is subjected to, even though they're greater in numbers, they're subjected to the organized combined nature of capitalism teaming up and saying like, who cares if you're, numerically superior we're all teaming up against you to keep you down yeah we now have more resource resources to hire like strike breakers and to hire like crazy lawyers and like whatever the fuck we need to do to keep you down yes yeah uh the third one that she says is between the international character of like the world economy globalism over like uh like like a and not in the right wing stupid sense (laughs) but like in the this is a global economy sense Uh, And the national character of the state. So she's saying, like, we can basically do multinational corporations and get around different little national regulations and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, see any company. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So she's like, okay, your bright idea was monopolies. Bad. I can't, I can't, can't believe that was somebody's big fucking idea. Don't worry, guys. Monopolies. (laughs) Check the The shame that everyone walks away from happy. All right, so oh. that was another adaptation of capitalism that was supposed to help everybody. And it sucks. She also just says, yeah, dude, so eliminating crises, right? That's what you're promising us? Neat thing to promise us. And I think that this is pulled from like a later, I don't know how they did this, because this list is listed on my thing as part one, but it clearly comes from the 1908 part. Because she cites the crisis of 1907, which she can't okay. do in 1900. Uh, but as far as you know, she could have been psychic. <laughs> but she says Bernstein was like, "Oh, looks like there are no more crises because they're not happening every ten years." And she's like, "Uh, what about this?" Right? Yeah. She's like, "So it waited a while, but there are still crises, right?" So. The time scales differ. When Marx was writing, it did look like every 10 years, but it changed. And she's like, also, these crises, their origins seem to be where capitalism is most developed, not least developed. So it's it, where capitalism has more of these features that you say will protect it. That's where the crises are breaking out. What are we down to now? Every two years, it feels like every economic <laughs> crisis. Like, ugh. Yeah. So that's where Rosa says, ha, 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 to basically everything <laughs> Bernstein one. said about how capitalism adapts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that whole chapter. I mean, okay. I do want to like try to tie this more back into maybe modern times um, because, you know, we're not going to go again, find Bernstein on the street and be like, you dumb fucker. 
<laughs> how how shit. did you think this? Yeah, it's not about Bernstein being wrong. It's about like that sort of camp or people who think like him being wrong then and now. So yeah, let's tie it into modern day. Yeah. So like, who do you think is is this kind of guy? Like, who's 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 the Bernsteins of today? Uh, the Bernsteins are t- of today would be. Well, it's it's pretty nice to tell people like liberal Democrats. So that's a pretty nice liberal Democrats. <laughs> like that's giving them way too much credit. That's the thing. I'm say, like, I don't even know if we have a Bernstein. <laughs> You sort of do. I mean, there is sort of a soft social Democrat, Democratic socialist. I mean, someone who is like really genuinely believed like just electing Bernie would have done it all. Maybe maybe progressives is a good term. Well, progressives, yeah, or ju- yeah, they used to call them the Justice Democrats back when they were like trying to take over the Democratic Party, like make it more like Bernie, like that sort of a camp of like. Let's just elect more AOCs. Mm-hmm. The squad, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because I, I do feel like I have, I know a lot of people that probably would be in this camp that would say like, yeah, I, I think I'm a socialist or I, I agree with a lot of things about socialism, but I want to work in the system. Right. Their conception of it is, let's get the right people in there. Let's get socialists in there, honestly. And that'll change it. And I think that as we go forward, we're going to see that more and more Rosa kind of tears down that conception of it, of, of like, let's vote the right people in, let's have the right policies to, to reform government. That's what she, she kind of spells out the limitations of that. So I think that's a good kind of modern day. Who are we actually, who are we yelling at? <laughs> yeah. Who are, yeah. Who's Rosa yelling at now? Yeah. <laughs> okay. But I mean, I would feel like, marginally better about that kind of electoralist plan if we also had like a robust worker movement or a labor movement in this country and like we don't <laughs> so like you can't just you can't just play one game you know yeah that is the thing is it would be beautiful if we had a political party a political group and you know probably we just need to make dsa into this uh is or some other party i mean whatever but we need to make some sort of mass party doing the sorts of shit that the SPD was doing back then. Because, yeah, they are struggling with a reformist wing and a cool wing, but, like... <laughs> At least they're there. At least there's enough of them to have this conversation with each other. <laughs> they're in with the workers' movement that's literally doing strikes and stuff like that, and they're worried about being too radical to... Like, damn, like, that's cool. That's a cool you know? combo to have. Yeah, huh. so that's a good point, is that we really need to put together first the forces to have this discussion. <laughs> like we need to, we're, we're, this is, this is uh, something that we need to save in your head for once we have a big enough well, thing I, going. I don't know because I, I think I, I maybe just cause it's election day and that's where my brain is and I feel guilty and it's just my little Catholic brain. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I think this applies to that. I think it, I think, even saying like, yeah, we need to build up, do that. You ha- you'll have some people saying, well, yeah, we need to vote to do that. Or like, that's how we organize. That's fair. That may be the American. I think that's the American response. Yeah. The modern American version of who are we yelling at is people who say go vote. Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe I'm just being petty and I just want to yell back <laughs> on my own platform. <laughs> but Okay. To, to continue that translation, Rosa would say, no, no, no. I mean like, you know, go fine, go vote. Like fine. that's good. Do it. But like, 
in that you're going to see what you can do and what you can't do through voting. It helps you see yourself as a class. I don't think she would say that voting is really super important to help you see yourself as a class, but still that and organizing with people, you know, voter drives or these various things that like lead up to elections, that'll help you realize yourself as a class. And then you get disillusioned by the election itself and then boom, <laughs> there, there you go. And you, you, you realize the direction you need to be going. That's more of our modern equivalent, maybe. Because we are, yeah, we're, we're kind of wimpy, <laughs> Americans anyway. <laughs> we're there and we're, we're getting there. And I have a small hope for the future <laughs> just because we have a lot of young listeners. And gosh, yeah. I hope you guys keep going. But uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Next chapter, the realization of socialism through social reforms. Rosa says, okay, reformists, they say the struggle of unions will gradually win us socialism. Unions, pretty cool. I like unions. They are going to do it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you're going, I was thinking, I was like, well, what what could I, what piece of knowledge do I have to compare that to? And I was like, well, the syndicalists, like they're all about unions and stuff, but like even they're like, no, you have to do like a big general strike. Like that's how you do that. Right, so reformers are like, don't worry, leave it up to the unions. Rose is like, there's a limit to what they can do. <laughs> Basically, they can't break the laws of physics, the laws of economics. They can't wring blood from a stone. The law she talks about is the law of wages, also known as the iron law of wages, which sounds cool. I don't think I like that. It doesn't sound cool to me. <laughs> well, I think it sounds cool in like a... Medieval, sort yeah, of it's like, very Game of Thrones. We're going up against the iron law of wages. <laughs> like that sounds like something a dragon gives you as a curse. <laughs> uh, it is bad because it's essentially asserts that real wages always tend, in the long run, toward the minimum wage necessary to sustain the life of the worker. Keep them alive, keep them coming in. I think we're lower than that now, but yeah. <laughs> we're really testing the limits of the word minimum here so rosa says they can't go beyond that because the capitalists will literally just close up shop and move somewhere else so the best that unions can do is play defense against that limit how much their employers exploit them try to get it you know not worse than that you know try to stay alive basically i mean i would also argue like an issue with leaving it all up to unions is that, like, not everyone is a worker, you know? Like, what are you going to do about, like, especially in, in Rose's time, like, a lot of women, children, disabled people, like, you're leaving a lot of people out of the equation. Yeah, and you, you do want to be leaving children out of the workers' <laughs> equation, not, for sure. Why aren't those lazy kids working and joining a union? <laughs> God. But, uh, but, yeah, no, I agree with you. It is, it's workerist, as we would say now. But she says there's there's even limits within her time, which is just that of you can't go beyond the wages. But also, they're really basically unions are, are good if they're dealing with wages and, and hours, those specific work time demands. But they can be reactionary if they're dealing with like, how do we organize production, making shit, right? One, uh, technological developments. Usually unions are going to be like, Let's limit these so that we can have more jobs for our members. 
uh, think about like the Luddites and stuff, because technology tends to, in the hands of the capitalists, exploit people, workers, and their bodies more. So they're against it, right? It makes sense. But like for the general progress of society, that's not necessarily good. Uh, another is uh, the scale of production and prices. Basically, what she's saying here is like, if you leave this up to unions, they're, they're kind of like teaming up with their employers against consumers and making sure that, you know, they're make, raking in the money and getting their, their money in and, and they can distribute to their members. But that's bad for people buying shit, regular people. So she's like, just like they, they, they can't, they're limited to less hours, more pay. Those are basically the demands they can make, that unions can make. I think there's more than that. I would say like safety is always a big one. That's true. That's true. And she doesn't really address workplace safety, but I, I think that would be included. Uh, conditions, shall we say. Uh, she also says once capitalism enters the bad one, the decline. <laughs> the black swan. Now we're living through probably. <laughs> uh, unions are going to be harder pressed barely able to hold on to the gains that they've already won. And again, I, I, mean, I think this is where we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what we're living through. <laughs> um, so that's that's very defensive. That's not going to... How are you going to play defense into socialism? Yeah, yeah. They're not pushing... I mean, there are. And I, I do not mean for this episode to sound like we're like, there's no, no. unions and they're all... Like, there are important, amazing people doing some important, amazing work out there. And Rose has said the same thing. Unions are great. They're good. Yeah. They're vital toward the struggle. Absolutely. They're just not, they're necessary, but not sufficient. They can't do it alone. Yeah. And, and they're limited by the system that they are in. Yes. That's, that's the whole thing. It's like, you can't get to that next system just using these guys, but they need to be, I mean, they're, they're a part of the struggle. That's, that's, that's us. That's the workers. Which side are you on? We're on their side, but we can't leave it up to just that. Uh, all right. What about social reform legislation? Let's do that. Legislation sounds good. Reformers say this is pretty good. This is a working class imposing its will as the state. Sure. I totally feel that way. Yeah, you read, you did the reading on Engels. <laughs> the state, pretty good thing, right? Like the state, we're, we're its friend. No, we're against the state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rose Why do you think like, Dave and Dan are parked outside of my house? <laughs> yeah, I'm waving at him. Here you go. Hey. Dipshits. <laughs> Waving the bird. Uh, <laughs> Rose is like, yeah, you you read. You did the reading, right, bro? Um, the state. Why do you even go here anymore? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, that is literally the state. It's a tool of the capitalists. Like, read angles. It's it's there. Uh, and, and so she kind of breaks this down and says, okay, so reformists argue, Bernstein argues, that the, the right of the capitalist will be diminished through regulation. So essentially you're going to transform him through regulatory laws from this capitalist proprietor. I own it. I get to say what's up and and reduce him over time to just an administrator. You know, it's, it's society's in control and I just get to kind of manage things. You get to turn him from Jeff Bezos to, the manager of a Whole Foods. <laughs> I mean, no, there's just no way. Like, have you seen the eagles on this guy? Like, on any of these guys? Like, a guy just bought Twitter on a dare. Like, 
<laughs> yeah, on a dare probably not even going his way like he probably no. didn't mean to actually get it <laughs> it was an accident and he's just like shitting himself in front of everyone it's amazing <laughs> um it's it's <laughs> it's very someone compared it to the titanic but it was like and it's it's like if everyone on the titanic was like laughing at the iceberg <laughs> <laughs> anyway no i mean how how like yeah there's a limit there's a fucking limit well, I kind of like the way Rosa treats this because she says, basically, this is not historically how it works. So she says, currently, we're seeing a transition in the opposite direction of what you guys are talking about. Even in her time, she's saying the feudal notion of property, you know, or aristocrats, uh, lords and, and, Downton Abbey. and serfs. Yeah, Downton <laughs> Abbey is. And that's actually a that's thing the that right the show, time period. Yeah, and that's actually a thing that the show kind of does a good job of portraying is the importance of personal bonds, of things being personally administered. Lord Grantham, uh, this is a big aside to any listeners who (laughs) didn't watch Downton Abbey, but like your feudal lords and even in that later time period, they have a very personal bond to the people that they are lords over. Yeah, it's it's a give-take kind of relationship, mostly take. But they see themselves as like, oh, I'm, I'm like fatherly to this whole village or whatever. Yeah, it is fucked up, but it is a, <laughs> a, a system of social obligations between uh, the haves and the have-nots. And Rosa says, capitalism as it rises is just throwing that shit in the shredder. Like, it does not matter your personal connections whatsoever. It's all a market. It's all just property relations, not personal relations at all. I mean, I think if you want a more modern example, like if you think about like our parents' generation of you work somewhere 20 years, you really de- you you feel like you're developing a relationship with the company, even if you're probably not. But, <laughs> but you, you do have a loyalty sense. I think the older generation has that. Whereas we're like, oh, I fucking left so I get more money. <laughs> like, there's no loyalty. <laughs> yeah, it's mask off now, right? And, and another version of this is like shareholder or like stockholder. Those guys, they are literally just, you know, votes. They're just blocks of money. They're playing the game. <laughs> yeah. They're, they, they they're li- not there they for the right reasons. They don't do shit but own the property. There's no personal administration. All You don't see a stockholder show up to fucking walmart and start telling the manager that doesn't doesn't happen (laughs) there's complete depersonalization so she's saying like the opposite is happening we are not turning these people into administrators they're going from having some sort of an actual direct thing to do to not doing anything at all but owning but like saying this is mine and you have to pay me to use it i retweeted this on our twitter but someone explaining uh like the corporate world in these like religious esoteric terms it was really funny but they're like you know, their explanations of the, the C-suites were like, I mean, they don't really do anything, but they just kind of like are there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, they, are the, they are the priests reciting the correct incantations. Uh, totally. I think that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so basically she's saying, yeah, legislation, we are not going to be able to transform these guys in that way. They're moving the opposite way. I mean, if she had been around to see what's going on now, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It continued in that direction. Basically, at best, you can <laughs> regulate exploitation, but you are not going to eliminate it through laws. Even if 
<laughs> you, I mean, we know that our current system is, like I said earlier, totally bought and sold by capitalism. Like politicians and corporations are the same person. The military mm-hmm. is also in that little Spider-Man trio. Like they're all, <laughs> they're all the same. So even if somehow you were able to separate those roles into individual people, which you can't, but if you <laughs> manage to do that, you clone some people, I don't know, did some crazy Star Trek transporter accidents to make them separate people. <laughs> then, I mean, you'd still reach a point where like you have to go up to a capitalist and say, okay, now give your company away. Like that's not a thing you're going to be able to do. Right. The thing that makes me in charge of everything. Nah, man, I got better. Right. They're not going to do that. There's just no fucking way. All right. So that was chapter three, the short and easy version. I like this better. (laughs) I like Rosa. I think she is a cutie, but wow. We just, we didn't vibe. Uh, literary wise maybe i'm just reading too many fucking fantasy novels and i was just having too much fun no there's a there's a mindset to reading this so basically a couple chapters in i stopped kind of trying to make note of every little thing that jumped at me and it was like okay i gotta read big chunks and then process it as like wait what's the main thing she was saying you know it's (laughs) like you got you got to get in the mind of like they're gonna write a whole bunch of stuff and I only actually need some of it. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm bad at that kind of reading. I'm like the kind of reader who has to read every word on a page, and I get really mad if I skip something. Like, yeah, no. I mean, I, I, I am. I this is me <laughs> normally. Abby will tell you I'm a terribly slow reader, but I can do this if I'm functioning for a thing, and I, and <laughs> I've sufficiently put it off to last minute. So, <laughs> oh, of course, of course, you got to have the fire under your ass. Yeah, there you go. All right, next chapter. <laughs> Chapter four, capitalism and the state are two favorite things on this podcast. I have a shirt that says, I heart capitalism and the state. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it's in the I heart New York thing, but it's mm-hmm. capitalism and the state. <laughs> Here, Rosa reminds us as good socialist, good communists, guys, we all remember that the state is like bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's capitalist. And... It's true, on one hand, that the state has gained more responsibilities over time. So she says, quote, it prepares little by little the future fusion of the state to society. All right. We all know that like states apart from society, that that capital came up with the state to regulate society and say, hey, you guys stay the fuck down there. We're in charge. (laughs) Right? Mm-hmm. And the state comes in and points guns at you and says, yeah, you heard him. She's saying, as the state kind of gets these more varied responsibilities of like providing welfare or providing these different social services, that it's kind of like taking baby steps toward its future role of doing shit for people. So it's evolving toward being a tools for society. But at the same time, she says... Capitalism, that asshole, is in here kind of moving the state more and more insidiously in its favor. And she says, at a certain point, and she says it's, it's then when she's living, capitalist development has reached a certain level where the interests of the bourgeoisie as a class and the needs of economic progress of like the whole society, what would be good for everyone, 
begin to clash even in the capitalist sense. So what's good for the ruling class of capitalists is not good for like just the general economic development of everyone. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we also see this. She was saying, Very true. I'm already seeing it then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Examples she gives are tariffs. Um, this is something kind of that harkens back to open veins. They talked a lot about how, you know, Western or industrial economies made liberal use of tariffs when they were coming up, right? And England used tariffs and the United States used tariffs to protect their domestic industries while they were growing. And then all of a sudden turned the page and said, no, 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 free you trade. You guys don't get to do that. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. Open up your markets because mm-hmm. we're more developed than you and blam, blam, blam. She says that when, you know, she's looking at things at her time and saying, yeah, man, like they did that and they actually do keep some tariffs by that point. It's mostly, and by our point, it's mostly agricultural tariffs. And saying like, oh, no, 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 hey, we're going to, this is our market. You can't come into it. I mean, that shit still goes on. And she's saying this is not maintained for anybody's overall economic good. It's maintained for specific capitalist interests. Yeah. Okay. So maybe uh, an example we used on the show. I don't know if you can call this a tariff, maybe, but a heavily protected industry would be like the food industry, like corn. Mm-hmm. It is not good for people, for sure. It's not good for the regular economy, but it's good for like a couple guys. <laughs> yeah. And so we do it because the state is more and more and more and more their tool. Another example, militarism. Ooh, my favorite. That's my third shirt. <laughs> <laughs> militarism. Yeah. It's just, yeah, thumbs up. Uh, <laughs> wars have gone from initially... So her historical analysis says uh, kind of the the brutal or the primitive accumulation of capital colonization, imperial countries (laughs) going in, kicking the door over, shooting up the natives and and taking a place for its plunder. Uh Uh-huh. Capitalism versus the underdeveloped or the soon to be overexploited. And this is just to us now looking back was like, well, that's just the march of capitalism. That's how they took over the world and <laughs> made everything terrible. Uh, she's saying we're moving from that bad phase to a different bad phase, which is the capitalists just shooting at each other right? <laughs> of, of, of just these very developed countries now going in industrialized wars against each other. It's bad like you're in, she's writing 1908 at the latest. It's going <laughs> so to be bad. walls of bodies bad, but it's good for the capitalist class because of a few factors. One, it fosters nationalism. Mm, they it love fosters, that shit. Let's go for the team. You're on <laughs> our team. Class collaboration. Ugh. You're on our side versus the barbaric outsiders. Ugh. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, bad. Oppose that. Nationalism is only good in terms of wars of national liberation of oppressed countries. It's also good for the capitalist, you know, war, the, like, systematic, the organized, uh, what do you call it, mechanized destruction of human life uh, is good because it's an outlet for capital. Yeah, I mean, that requires a lot of equipment. Bombs are fantastic, man. Super expensive, (laughs) and you only use them once ideal capitalist uh, product super cool no problems <laughs> yeah friend of the show bombs <laughs> friend of the show 
Oh. Dave and Dan are writing that one down. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, next. I bet they are. <laughs> next, uh, it makes it easier to dominate the workers in your country. Because of the class collaboration or a different Well, because reason? of the war effort. It was in, uh, it's in Talking Union in um, the Almanac Singer song. I say, they'll call every one of you a goddamn red. Sabotaging national defense. Japanese spy. You know, they, they have all sorts of things to say. Oh, well, now you're less than loyal because you're not on board with the war effort. That's a good point. Younger listeners probably don't remember this. I barely do because I was just a teen. But the war on terror Ugh. is a very good example of this. Yeah. You had yeah. to be red, white, and blue, you know, all that. You had to be for the troops. Or else, I mean, or else you were like some sort of fucked up traitor. So she's saying it's bad for everyone, but it's good for the capitalists for these reasons. Same thing with tariffs. So basically, increasingly, what's good for the capitalist class is not good for development overall. A good comparison is like when Marx and Engels write about the mode of production, like capitalism or feudalism or whatever. It's good for a while because it like it's correctly matched to what people are doing. And so it like Marx kind of writes about it, right? He's like, damn man, capitalism's done crazy shit. Like it's built all these railroads and he kind of like talks it up. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, that was impressive. But eventually it becomes these fetters that like lock the system into place that it's trying to break free of. And this is what Rose is kind of saying is like, it's now holding everyone back to its own interests. And she says, when you reach that point, the state is increasingly called upon to enforce the domination of that capitalist class to say, hey, we get it. This is not good for everybody, but we got the guns. And <laughs> so you're going to fucking do, do it. Yeah. And so the state, even though it's getting these more social roles and everything, is actually sticking to its true purpose of being a tool for the capitalists to enforce their will on everyone else. Yeah, so you cannot rely on the state to be reformed because it still has guns pointed at you when needed. But 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 what about but what about Parliament? Parliament though, you know, like <laughs> save we, us. We get more democracy. That's going to be good. Parliament that's going to get us that. closer to socialism, right? More voting. <laughs> Go vote. Here's the thing, guys. I would vote every fucking day if I lived in an actual socialist place. Sure, for sure. <laughs> I'm at every town meeting. <laughs> But what you actually live in isn't an actual democracy. This is what Rosa says. Rosa says is they've dressed it up to look like a good democracy. The state has these formal aspects that really look like, oh, I go vote for this person. And then they do the thing where, oh, I'm a bill on Capitol Hill. And then they pass the thing. (laughs) It's got formal aspects of how it looks and real content of what it actually does. And she says, What it actually does is enforce a capitalist society. Capitalist interests dominate. And what it tries to look like is nice and good and democratic. And it's it's it pleases the people. But she says if that ever gets in the way, if the niceties people start to focus on that and say, oh, well, you should really be doing this for people. And the people say this and whatever, you know, 
Bernie actually wins or what have you. You get to, you know, or threatens even to win, honestly. And then, I mean, yeah, they shut that one down fast. You know, but like if if that starts to become too scary, she says the capitalists, man, that is out the window. They know what this thing is really for. They give you the niceties. They want it to look good for you. But if it gets in the way, that's out. So she's like, don't focus on parliamentary stuff. I mean, like you can do it. But understand its limits is that when, like you said earlier, when it really threatens, it's 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 not going to be allowed to continue. I mean, there yeah, there's always going to be a reactionary movement. Like if, if you look back to, you know, uh, a great win for labor movements happening in like the 30s and stuff like mm-hmm. what happened right after that is they started cleaning house of all communists. Like they're going to turn on you as soon as they're able to. Yeah. And and. I would emphasize, you know, why are they doing that? You know, why are they making concessions in the first place? You know, and I think Rosa would agree is that it's the power of the people in the streets. You know, it's, absolutely. It's the fear of the alternative <laughs> is why they're giving up. They had what, like thousands of like homeless people in the streets, people without mm-hmm. jobs in the streets being like, hey, fucking do something about this. And yeah, I know. Yeah. They had to do something. Yeah, no, it's it, they, were, they, were, they were talking about the threat of communist revolution in Kansas. Like, I mean, like <laughs> that's where we're at. So that's the real thing that, that changes people, that makes things happen. And I think that's really the thrust of this whole argument is the revolutionary potential is what does things, not the little nibbling at the edges. Yeah, because the, the huge mass of people out there weren't just like doing a voting drive. They were like fucking yelling at people. Yeah, they were like, we will take power ourselves. Mm-hmm. In the summary of this section, the state and the property relations are becoming more capitalist, not less. So reformism, not going to work. You guys were saying, oh, we're just going to transfer. It's going in the opposite direction. And yeah, sure, sure fucking did. <laughs> She doesn't always have great direct quotes, but this one, fantastic. Okay. I want to put it out there because it's a great burn by Rosa. Well, actually, do you remember Fourier? Mm, Charles no. Fourier. He was a utopian socialist. How you spell this guy's name? I got it. Let me see his pick. Oh, God. He looks like he just like ate a lime. <laughs> He's a, <laughs> it's just, uh, just the wrinkliest mouth situation. Just like. Rah. So he was one of the utopians. That I think Engels mentioned in his writings. And Marx, too, I want to say, in one of the chapters of Manifesto, he was like, eh, utopians for you. They didn't really have the right <laughs> idea. But she kind of tosses him in there with this. It's pretty good. So Fourier's scheme of changing by means of a system of phalansteries, the water of all the seas into tasty lemonade was surely a fantastic idea. <laughs> but Bernstein, proposing to change the sea of capitalist bitterness into a sea of socialist sweetness by progressively pouring into it bottles of socialist reformist lemonade represents an idea that is merely more insipid, but no less fantastic. <laughs> Damn, she's like, that was a stupider idea. <laughs> yeah, you thought changing the seas to lemonade was stupid. <laughs> Check out this guy. My man Bernstein, even stupider. <laughs> Damn, putting the burn in Bernstein. Yeah. <laughs> so she's saying this is impossible, right? You, you cannot change these gradually because basically the state is this steadily rising wall between 
a capitalist society and a socialist society. Like it's what, what's keeping us from that reality, right? She says, this wall is not overthrown, but is on the contrary, strengthened and consolidated by the development of social reforms and the course of democracy. Only the hammer blow of revolution, the conquest of political power by the proletariat can break down this wall. Extremely true. Like, yeah, the why do you think they give us the treats they give us? <laughs> so we stay behind the wall. Right. It's uh, legitimizing it, right? It's, it's increasing its power. So that's kind of how she concludes that section there. Kind of a banger. Break down this wall. She, she you know, pre, she, she preempted, I think Reagan plagiarized this section of. <laughs> you know, he was a big Luxembourg fan. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. We got to chapter five. The consequences of social reformism and general nature of reformism. I'm going to guess bad. <laughs> it's it's bad. Uh, doing reformism, she says, changes the role of the party, the SPD. Uh, the, and again, this is engaging in trade union efforts and also parliamentary efforts. She says it, it's changing it from revolutionary, which again is this idea of like, these efforts are good because they prepare the working class to eventually take power. And they convince them through repeated failures that we're going to run up against a wall. And the only way through is with our hammer with revolution. Like we're going to be winning gains and this is good. This is stuff you can bring back to your families and say, we've improved our lives this way. Yeah. It's, it's harm reduction for sure. Right. But you're going to, it, there's a limit. You're going to reach a limit. And when you do, we'll be here. <laughs> yeah. When you do, you'll be here and you'll be there with the knowledge that I teamed up with my fellow people, with my fellow workers. And this is what we did and we can do more. Right. That's what she said. That's, that's a good view. But the reformists are saying these efforts are good only because of what they do to change things here. But uh, bigger picture, no bigger picture. These things here that they're doing, these little changes, are going to build up enough to where they make a little socialism for everybody. And that, that's going to be it. We're not going to ever reach that other point where we have to do something else. This itself will get us to socialism. I mean, once again, good fucking luck. Yeah, no, uh, she, she says that when you do that, you are not just pursuing something ill-advisedly, but you are making both the trade union efforts and the parliamentary efforts of the party basically useless. You're, you're, you're taking away the real purpose of them. They are still going to be like, I guess, you know, improving people's lives in a small scale. But the real purpose of them was that second part was training you for the revolution. So if you take that away, you were just treading water. You're just yeah. staying alive. And we covered that before, right? Like the, the trade unions, they cannot get past just playing defense. Um, the, the parliamentary efforts, you know, what is that? We talked about they're going to strip that if you get too far. So you're going to, she puts it, the way she puts it is, you're going to end up devolving into a, quote, policy of compensation. Basically political trading, making deals, just trying to stay in the game, stay at the table. I mean, that's totally what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She says the logical consequences of such a program is necessarily disillusionment. It's just saying, like, what the fuck are we even here for? 
you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the main point she's making there. Then she kind of shifts to back to a little bit more burning a Bernstein here. <laughs> Poor guy. All right. Uh, and she says, Bernstein, he's kind of foolish for saying that these things that he's been claiming, oh, they're good, they help, you know. Uh, basically, he's detaching them from their real role in capitalism as a system. He's like, oh, credit, you know, oh, it does this good thing. But <laughs> Rose is like, actually, it develops like the capitalist process and makes that worse. So it's bad. Or Bernstein's like, oh, boo, like crises, like let's get rid of crises. They're bad, you know, like if we fix that, then everything's going to be fine. But Rose is like, capital is the system that you're going for right now that you're saying, Oh, let's just fix it into socialism. Uh, capitalism relies on crisis. This isn't something that capitalists like to talk about, but it does. Yeah. So they can swoop in there. Yeah. This is uh, Marx's term is the tendency of the rate of profit to fall. Essentially when, as that happens, these crises grow and a, a capitalist economist Schumpeter calls that, calls those creative destruction let's just say <laughs> a, a nice a flowery way to talk right. about lots Beautiful. of people getting thrown out of work and, and not being able to survive but so uh, basically the markets you know they just let a little blood fly so that they can come in there you know buy when there's blood on the ground is the phrase and that will bring profits roaring back you occasionally you know kill off a few <laughs> just so you can keep the overall thing going. I mean, again, the question is for fucking who? Like, who is mm -hmm. swooping in and getting these, like, profits? Like, it's not normal people. It's fucking vultures. It is, yeah. And Rosa says that's just how capitalism works. I mean, like, it is. it's it's like, uh, like forest fires or whatever, like lightning strikes and stuff, you know, like... The ashes, they, they revitalize the whole thing. She's like, that's how it works. That's how it drives forward. If Bernstein is calling for an end to capitalist crises, that stops the whole engine. Like, <laughs> he likes it. He likes, you know, capitalism to keep doing its thing. But he's basically saying, yeah, what if we just stop it? And she ends by calling him a vulgar bourgeois economist. <laughs> Oh, God, that should be on his grave. <laughs> <laughs> Loving father, devoted husband, vulgar bourgeois economist. <laughs> Makes him sound like he's saying, okay, here's the fucking supply line. Here's the fucking demand line. <laughs> oh, he just like all of his graphs are like in the shape of dicks. <laughs> <laughs> How vulgar. But yeah, she's like, the only way you can come to his conclusions is by seeing the world through the lens of a small capitalist, of an individual capitalist, of saying like, oh, well, like, you know, monopolies are good because maybe I'll be in a monopoly sort of thing. Of like, he has this limited view, is what she's saying. And that's the end of that chapter. Moving to chapter six, economic development and socialism. So uh, she starts out this chapter by saying, hey, guys, socialism it's cool, right? <laughs> it's cool because it's got these scientific foundations. It's based in an understanding of the economy 
in terms of its material economic conditions, right? It's not just a good idea. It's not just nice to do. It's an analysis of history as it has developed. Just saying we all get that, right? Duh. Like we're all, you're reading the same thing I am. <laughs> you get it, right? Yeah. All right. And she's like, Bernstein, dumbass doesn't understand this. <laughs> Someone besides me did not do the reading this week. And it was Bernstein. <laughs> she, yeah, no, she, she really trash talks him. Some study that he did, some analysis that he did and, and just calls him out. She says, uh, it's surprising that Bernstein has so little acquaintance with his material, and it's astonishing how poorly he utilizes the existing data in his own behalf. Damn. Okay. I do not want to get on Rose's bad side. No, she will rip you a new one. She will She's murder just... me. She'll be like, they didn't read my book? Fuck them. <laughs> I'm going to write another book about how shitty they are. So there's a lot of like specifics that we don't want to get into because it's old data. Uh, but Essentially, Bernstein was talking about how, oh, there's more shareholding. There's more like stocks and stuff in economy. Uh, and she tries to kind of correct it and point out, okay, yeah, what does this mean? This means that there's more socialization of production in capitalism, right? Uh, there's more people coming together to produce shit. Well, she's like, that doesn't refute Marxism, bro. That's like what Marx said would happen. She has this quote that I think is interesting. It's essentially like a Supreme Court quote about like uh, corporations or people because she says the economic notion of capitalist no longer signifies an isolated individual. The industrial capitalist of today is a collective person composed of hundreds and even of thousands of individuals. The category capitalist has itself become a social category. It's become socialized within the framework of capitalist society. Ugh, so. it's like the worst Voltron ever. <laughs> right, yeah, it's bad, but she's honestly assessing the situation even back then of, like, corporations in this way are this Frankenstein of a this person. entity. <laughs> this horrifying entity. Yeah. <laughs> and so that development is going just as Marx predicted, basically. Bernstein also, she says, dumbass, because... He is focusing on, instead of relations of production, he's focusing on, like, do you have enough money to invest? So basically, this guy sees the world as, like, teeming with capitalists. There's capitalists everywhere because people have enough money to, like, buy some stocks. Instead of looking at, are these people, like, literally putting their money into, like, owning the means of production and like producing shit themselves or are they just like putting it in a fancier version of the bank to make more money off of it so is she saying that bernstein is confusing people owning stocks with owning production yeah so she's saying bernstein's focused so much on that that basically he breaks it down to like rich people versus poor people instead of like capital versus labor like the relations okay, of production okay. of like are you a boss with employees or are you working for somebody instead he just kind of what she says vulgarizes it or just makes it oversimplified into just like hey man look at all these people with money like that's clearly there's capitalists all over the place you know? <laughs> okay okay so she's saying he doesn't have the correct analysis of that the class analysis yeah she also says that 
Bernstein kind of crudely breaks it down to just being about numbers, which she finds kind of funny. She's like, this dude, he's always talking about that there's this bad group called the Blankists or the Blanquists. I don't really know how to say it specifically, but um, Blanqui was like this very conspiratorial, let's do a coup, take power, my small little group of coup guys, let's take power, and then we're just going to do socialism. Right, <laughs> Sounds was, great. Yeah. Uh, without like worrying about if society ready for it, nothing of that. You know, uh, don't okay, don't okay. connect with the masses. Just, we're just do, do it. we'll do it and then we'll, we'll do make it for socialism. You. Yeah. Okay. That's Blanquiism. So she's like, that's funny because like that's essentially how the Blanquists think. Like, let's just, you know, it's all about numbers. Let's just take power and then make things happen. It's just violence. Like, do we, do we have the numbers for it? And Bernstein's like, oh, no, we don't have the numbers for it, so we can't do it. And she's like, dude, you would be better off if you were relying on science, scientific socialism. Like, history develops in a certain way. Eventually, it's going to become economically necessary for us to go into social. It doesn't matter if you have, like, an interesting coup going on. Like, it's a process like that's what we should be relying on the masses, not some little scheme, you know, not, Oh, are there more capitalists or not? Like that's not what we should be calculating. Well, I mean, even if you did, it sounds like his numbers would be wrong because like he's confusing, like he doesn't know how to count class. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, he, we said, which side are you on? But he doesn't even have the right equation for that. He like, doesn't he, know what the sides are. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's like, I'm My confused. man is lost on all fronts. Bernstein. Oh, guy. Yeah. He, I'm going to look up a pic of this guy just so I know who we're making fun of. <laughs> he looks like a, just a, a fuzzy old man. Yeah, he looks nice, to be honest. He does kind of <laughs> look like a nice grandpa. <laughs> but he was stupid. <laughs> we're kicking this grandpa's ass. <laughs> Rosa was like, fuck you, grandpa. Fuck off, gramps. <laughs> Get it together. Uh, another criticism she levels is <laughs> that Bernstein says that, hey, yeah, there's there's anarchy in capitalist production, you know, like it's there's a little bit of that chaos, but it's small enough that it can be reformed. Right. That's the whole premise of like, uh, we can we can fix this. It's not too bad. You were talking about the Titanic before, so it's not that big of a leak, right? <laughs> she actually likens this to some writing of Marx that I didn't look up, but sounds hilarious, where Marx uh, talks of the virgin who had just a very small child. <laughs> Everything but. Oh, that's <laughs> it great. Was, it was, you know, you know, had a child, but it's very small. It's <laughs> fine. Don't worry. I mean, don't ask too many questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just just a little bit of anarchy production. <laughs> And Rosa says, come on, like your forms of that is, are not going to work because you can't just say that, oh, you're, you're going to have different mode of exchange versus a mode of production. She leaves it at that. I don't really know okay. specifically what she, know she what does not elaborate. Okay. It says, boom, that's. <laughs> she says you're you, wrong. You can't separate these things. Like you just know. I think what she's saying is like. Marx is writing on mode of production, like capitalism and stuff. Capitalist mode of production is going to have a capitalist mode of exchange. So capitalists are not going to be like, go down to the central warehouse that's controlled by the people and you're just going to distribute it for free. That doesn't make the engine Yeah, run. you can't tell companies how much to make of things because they want to control how much to make of things so they can make right, money. Right, yeah. So those things are tied together. You couldn't go to the feudal 
lord and lady and, and they're just like yeah uh go down to the market and buy it from the merchants and <laughs> you know capital system it, it doesn't work you know it doesn't so. make any sense yeah right like so the whole point of capitalism is supply and demand they're not going to just let that one go y'all right and, and to, to imagine that you can reform your way out of it is to imagine that you can change that by waving a wand also here's <laughs> here's where she ties back into what you were saying up at the top bernstein says that Marx's law of surplus value is just an abstraction. It's all in your head, man. Don't worry about it. Do you know about Marx's law of surplus value? Uh, no. I probably do, but I don't. <laughs> all right. Surplus value is the value created by workers in excess of their own labor costs. So what the worker puts in that the worker is not paid for. Yeah, you're on the assembly line or whatever, you get paid bullshit, but the difference of how much you get ripped off. That's Okay. <laughs> that's a value. much easier term. Bernstein's like, dude just made it up. It's all in the ether. What? Does is he thinking like everyone gets paid all the profits? Well, well, that's <laughs> what the kind thing of is... fucking job does he have? I want that job. <laughs> Rose is like, "My man, where do you think money comes from?" Like <laughs> <laughs> Marx did not make this up. This is like he's literally discovering like the reality, the economic basis of like mm -hmm. money and the a whole profit way of the system. Yeah, he's like he discovered this dude. He did not make this up. <laughs> and beyond that, when you're trash talking Marx, you've really taken a step too far with Rosa because she's like, "Come on, man, Marx, cool enough, smart enough." to correctly analyze capitalism because he's got this cool method, historical materialism. He's looking at it as a phase in history. He's not a fanboy saying, oh, capitalism, here it is. We can reform it because it's the only thing we've got. He's smart enough to say it's a phase in history. It arose and it will fall like everything else. You know, so he's able to step back and say, okay, well, what are its mechanisms? Here's what drives it. And then here is probably what's going to drive it into collapse. Cause you can like step back and do that with all the other phases of history. So it kind of unlocks it instead of being a bourgeois historian and saying, well, this is the way the world is now. <laughs> right. Our history developed logically toward the path of the greatest possible of all possible <laughs> worlds. And we're living in it. And here's we capitalism. Did it. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, she uh, attacks Bernstein for criticizing Marx. Again, don't do that around Rosa. Don't do that with her. <laughs> she will fucking cut you. Because Bernstein's like, oh, yeah, Marx, man. He's always doing dualism. He's like saying, oh, there's this versus that and this versus that. So, and she's you like, know, the thing that Marx does? Right. She's like, dialectics. That, that's that like in the about? name. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. She's just like, that's just antagonisms. It's just dialectics. It's like Bernstein over here. He wants unity. He wants everything to be united. But what, you know what he really wants? He wants to reconcile his old, cool, socialist past with his current loser, bullshit, apologist for bourgeois self. Damn. Damn. Okay. That's why he wants everything to be unified because he's trying, he's trying to work this out on the timeline with everybody seeing it but he's tr he's actually doing self-help he, oh my gosh it's it's a problem he's performing himself <laughs> yeah and she's like 
don't pay attention to that. You know, <laughs> I got the receipts. <laughs> it's yeah, it's not dualism. It's dialectics. Like, come on. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Chapter seven. We're going to talk about cooperatives, unions and democracy. I like those things. Right. Bernstein likes these things, but relies on them too much. So he says, okay, our goal is let's make the poor people rich. Rose is like, that sounds fine. Like, that sounds. Sure. We want that, I guess, but how are you going to do it, bro? <laughs> What's your plan? Bernstein's like, labor unions, co ops. It's going to be a one two punch. Labor unions are going to suppress industrial profits, and co ops are going to suppress commercial profits. Okay, so instead of a store or something, I'm trying to remember back to our co-op episode. Are, are they using it in that sense or is it a different sense? Sure, yeah. Anything producing something cooperatively. The workers own it, the workers run it, that sort of thing. So Rosa, classic takedown of co-ops. Our, our, to harken back to that episode that you were talking about, the market is ruthlessly competitive. Yeah, how are they going to be able to compete with capitalists? Well, by turning into an entity just as ruthless as the capitalist <laughs> ones. So, I mean, you're just going to have to, you know, be your own asshole boss. Ugh. Which, at that point, what's the point? You know, like, you're going to have to be as mean to yourself. At least make <laughs> someone else do that, right? Like, Yeah, right. To keep up. She's saying to keep up, you have to do that. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I think I get what Bernstein is trying to say is that Oh, but if you have a really strong union, you can somehow drive down. I mean, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be driving down prices, though. That's the thing. She recaps that essentially restates what she said earlier. Yeah, like that's not how unions work. Yeah. She's just like unions. They have a limit. They cannot go past that certain playing defense. In fact, they want prices to be higher. So they're paid more. So then how are you going to have co-ops compete with that? Well, the co-ops thing is. First of all, they're they're driven by the same competitive forces, so they're going to have to be ruthless toward themselves. And Bernstein's workaround is saying, oh, actually, actually, what do we have? Consumer co-ops. So we have cooperatives of people. This is where you have consumer co-ops, like people signing up to be a co-op member to shop at a, at a grocery store, for example. These, these exist still. And Rose's criticism is that this basically only works for certain things. Very localized businesses serving immediate needs like grocery stores. You cannot have a consumer co-op. Oh, let's go be the consumer co-op for oil. Of steel. Yeah. Or yeah. Textiles mine. Yeah. The big dogs. Doesn't work. <laughs> Does not. No. Because, uh, I mean, when you, when you talk about that, you're talking about like breaking down the world, the global market, and just kind of doing these like little regional... You're you're really scaling down what capitalism is in its modern incarnation. So she's like, that doesn't that doesn't work. The co-ops thing, you're gonna have to be as ruthless as the capitalists, so what's the point? Your only workaround is let's take this back to the to the Middle Ages. So it doesn't work. So labor unions, we said, it's got its limits because it's just basically defending against excess exploitation. That's like the most it can do. But that law of wages, that's its limit. She says, basically, it's a Sisyphean effort. You're never going to get past it. And I was interested in her explanation for why that's the case. 
She says, one, the middle class is going to be more and more thrown into the working class. Uh, Just the grinding of capitalism is going to (laughs) throw more of them into it. And that means more competition, right, for workers. So more competition for lower wages. So you're pushing for higher wages, but really you're just holding the line against that downward trend for, oh, there's more workers. So So we don't need as many? Right. Well, there's more workers, so I can hire somebody else off the street. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Because they just came in fresh in the middle class, right? So you're trying to push up wages, but really just holding them where they are because of that downward pressure. So the other one is increasing worker productivity which was a trend in her time is a trend still now for sure increasing worker productivity. You're producing more for the bosses. So you're trying to get a bigger slice of the pie, but at the same time, your class is producing more and more. So like really you're just holding pace. If you get more of the pie. Yeah. The pie is also growing. (laughs) Right. So you're like, just like, please, please. I need more of this. I need more of this. And at the same time, and we see it now, Housing prices are going crazy. Rent is going mm-hmm. crazy. Like, And you're just basically trying to keep up with inflation, and you're lucky if you do. So she's saying that's why it's always a defensive thing. is because of these basic mechanisms of capital. So unions can't eliminate industrial profits at all without eliminating the basic mechanisms of capital, which they cannot do. Unions doesn't work. Cooperatives doesn't work. I mean, she's saying they're good. Like they're good. Again, we're not saying don't do them. Yeah, it's just not going to be the thing. It will not get rid of capitalism alone. Taking that to task, said Bernstein. She quotes him here and makes fun of what he says. <laughs> okay, great, love it. Uh, because he basically completely admits to being an idealist. Okay, cool. So she's spending a long time kind of making the case that he is. But Mm -hmm. then decides, I'm just going to quote the guy where he says I'm an idealist. (laughs) Whoops. His quote, why represent socialism as the consequence of economic compulsion? Why degrade man's understanding, his feeling for justice, his will? She says that he's complaining like, why, why, you know, why do we have to rely on things like the historical progression of things why can't we just (laughs) tell people it's a good idea and then tell them to do it it doesn't matter i mean you can have good ideas all day but like (laughs) it doesn't address the core issue yeah and will it lead to what you need like rosa says we've done idealistic you know utopian socialism before are we living in a socialist society no it (laughs) has not worked (laughs) And she's like, that's, that's, that's weak. Another argument of Bernstein she brings up is democracy as being inevitable. That history inevitably marches toward more and more democracy. I'm making a face right now, listeners. (laughs) I imagine that would be the same face that Rosa made saying, you serious, bro? (laughs) Let's do a quick health check on democracy. You reading the same history I am. We're, we're talking about the ni- the early 1900s. We're talking yeah, before the rise of fascism. That ain't great. <laughs> so she does a little bit of history. It's like democracy. It's been there throughout history. It's, it's kind of mm-hmm. there's a little democracy here and there. You know, it, it's it's done a thing. And capitalism or proto-capitalism, we've seen that in all sorts of different types of governmental structures you know a little bit of democratic style ish medieval communes sort of thing 
absolute monarchies, constitutional monarchies, really wherever it can happen. So she's saying to claim that liberal democracy is like the end of history, you know, the Francis Fukuyama sort of theory of, oh, this, this is it. Everything's been growing toward liberal democracy. Mm-hmm. That's just stupid. Because cause she's saying democracy was in there and those other systems too. Yeah, democracy, we've seen it throughout history, you know, without capitalism. And we, and so if we've seen it throughout history, we've also seen it decline because it's not there still. Yeah, also that. And we've seen capitalism or its germs in more and less democratic systems throughout history as well. Right, okay. So these two things aren't linked and aren't a historical trend line. She also says that democratic institutions, they can be used by capitalism, like to, to kind of forge a powerful state out of smaller groups or whatever, but they're not indispensable. And especially they're not indispensable in the time that she's living. She's saying like, look at Germany, you know, we're, we're not exactly paying attention to democratic institutions all the time. We just had this anti-socialist law that we're just like, Hey, you know, you can't do that. You know, like, they will get rid of it whenever they want, like she was saying before, especially in times of crisis. She says militarism and the bourgeois fear of the revolutionary labor movement both push capitalism toward restricting democracy when, when their fear of the labor movement or their need for more militarism call them to. I mean, yeah, that does sound familiar. <laughs> <laughs> right? So basically, yeah, don't, don't rely on this shit. It, it, it can easily be taken away. All right, next up, chapter eight, the conquest of political power. So more democracy, more democracy, you have more democracy. Doesn't that mean that workers don't need to, like, do a revolution? Because, like, you'll just have more of a say. But, like, what is their definition of democracy? <laughs> right. That, again, that goes back to that, you know, form versus actual real life. Do you actually have the power? You know? She's like, Bernstein's over here saying reform. Gradualism. It's good. It's intelligent. It's methodological. It's rational. Versus revolution. Which is... Emotional, which is spontaneous, which is rash. It's a terrible thing. He says these, but, but, but there are two sides of the same coin. They're both roads leading to the same place. It's all about making the smart decision. Do you want to do the stupid, quick, fast, easy thing, you know, but bloody? Or do you want to take the prudent, slow, but prudent path mm. in that direction? Okay. Okay, West Wing. Yeah. Rosa, <laughs> she's like, come on. These are two different things. All right. This uh, legislative reform throughout history has strengthened the rising class until it was strong enough to take power in a revolution. All right. So like within the structure, these laws were changed to make it better for whatever class is rising and within uh, feudalism. Laws were changed to, like, give more rights to the rising bourgeoisie to make them kind of more on equal footing with the 
lords and, and, the, and the feudal lords and everything till they were ready to take power in bourgeois revolutions. Like those are two different things happening. She basically says that legal constitutions are the products of revolutions. Revolution is the act of political creation of those constitutions. And then legislation is the political expression of the life of a society that has already come into being. So you have to have the revolution to like change the structure, but then your legislation is once you're there, you're, you're changing things within it. That's maintenance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're sticking with reform, you are stuck within capitals. You're not going to change the system because you're not going to do the revolution. So you're only confined to just changing the laws within it. If you're writing off revolution as a possibility. And then it kind of comes up, okay, well, maybe capitalism. Maybe it's different. Maybe that doesn't apply. Bernstein kind of argues that capitalism has a really good judicial system, which we're laughing at. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) Uh, But he's like, you know, I mean, judicial rights and like courts and stuff. I don't know. It's it's good. It's got laws. People can elect people to make the laws. Great, right? This grandpa must have the comfiest fucking life. He well, he does. Yeah. So he's like, you know, legislative reform. Maybe it'll really work. And Rose is like, no. (laughs) Are you serious, bro? (laughs) She actually says uniquely capitalism is actually uniquely bad for this idea because class domination in our society is not actually really made up of the law so much as the economic conditions. All right. So the reason we work for our bosses isn't that we're legally conscripted to work for them. It's because if we don't, we starve the economic realities, right? Uh, it's, it's not really legal force. So wages, there, there's minimum wage laws and things like that, but most wages are determined mostly by economic factors rather than laws to quote Jafar, the golden <laughs> rule. <laughs> he who has the gold makes the rules. <laughs> Exactly. So she's like, reforming the laws are not going to change those relations of production. The the, the things that make capitalists capitalists and workers workers, it's not going to change that. So it's not going to change the system. My man, this works on economic laws. You can't change those by just writing a different law. Like, it's not going to happen. I'd say, too, like, there's, like, kind of a cultural law, too. You know, the, the cultural hegemony, I think, is very strong in capitalism. Ooh, yes. Uh, we are... That's how that's going to come up. That's going to come up soon. Okay, great. <laughs> Good call. Next, she kind of talks about capitalism's features as being dialectic. That's one of the things she's kind of been bringing up again and again. She says that capitalism has elements of the future society being socialism, but in a way that develops further and further away from what we think of as socialistic. So socialized production, right? Everybody working together, produce shit, but within big corporations, big conglomerates, right? Get the antithesis of what we're actually looking for, right? Or popular militias, like popular, you know, people defend mass defense of the nation, but in the service of imperialism or, um, increasing political participation, you know, more suffrage and stuff like that. But within a bourgeois parliament, 
So she's like, you've, you've got elements of what you want, but it's all corrupted. It's, it's all, all, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all it's bastardized. All and, yeah. Yeah. So she's like, okay, what this means is you've got to be able, what we've got to be looking at is how can we extract the socialist kernel from the capitalist shell? Right. We want to be able to take the good from the bad. And so we've got this bad capitalist state. We want to be able to take the good aspects of that, which means the workers have to be able to seize power for themselves, for over society, and then suppress that bad capitalist state. And, and she kind of talks about some quotes uh, of Marx, of Engels, talking about basically that when the proletariat is oppressed, we're supposed to be working for reforms, working for democracy, kind of strengthening our position. But then once we're victorious, we're supposed to fully exercise that power of the dictatorship of the proletariat. Like we're, we're, we're carrying it out at that point. Smash and wither. Yeah, exactly. So just state and revolution, but anticipating early. state and revolution. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a pretty good thing because this is a little bit meta, but like sometimes people like to say, Oh, Rosa, very critical of the Bolsheviks and everything. And she actually did have some initial criticisms, but basically like came around to their point of view. Um, her and Lenin were like super close in terms of ideology. They argued a lot too, frenemies a little bit. Of but, course, of course. But like they neck and neck Marxists at that time, but would be considered Marxist Leninists. Uh, last, there's a little section in this about Bernstein worrying. Looks like the type <laughs> to worry, right? He does. He's like, what about what if the workers seize power too soon? Okay. You know, that could be bad. Sure, I guess. It's not the right moment. They seize power too soon. Uh, and <laughs> she says, that's that 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 cannot happen. Because if they actually are to the point where they seize power, then they did it. Right. Well, well she's saying, <laughs> like, that's, okay. That's the criteria. Workers will seize power when the system has reached the point of maturity slash decay, basically. When the system's bad enough. That's when they're going to actually do this thing. You don't need to be like Bernstein telling people, just just chill out. Just wait, wait, wait. Don't go too soon. <laughs> She's saying, no, man, like, it's going to happen when it happens. Plus, it's not going to be one pleasant, happy day that it happens. It's going to be kind of procrastinating. It will it's, it's probably. Revolution Day, everybody. Right. <laughs> Everyone yeah. show up at 8 o'clock with your hammers. <laughs> thing is, it's probably going to look like it was too early to start. Because revolutions are a messy thing. Yeah, you can't plan this shit out perfectly. That's not how that works. As soon as this shit pops off, everyone's going to be calling it crap, you know? And, and that's one of the things that was attractive about the about the mass movements in the George Floyd protests and everything was that it was so uncertain. And you knew that even if it's the defining thing, if it's the real deal, there's going to be lots of people saying it's shit, you know? And so like, that's one of the things is like, hard to tell because when it's the real deal, they're still going to be saying like, no, 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 don't do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean the, the Bolsheviks, they had that earlier one. What was that one? Oh, that's February? The, the 1905. Well, they had the February revolution. They also had the 1905 revolution. They had a lot of dress rehearsals. That. That's a thing. <laughs> Rosa also talks about that. She says there's also going to be opening volleys, basically. The premature proletarian attacks are also going to 
play their role. They're not bad because they play their role in driving society toward the actual revolutionary moment. Like, so like that 1905 one, Lenin called it the dress rehearsal for the Russian revolution or the February revolution where you had the social Democrats basically take power and, and buck around for a while. Those revolutions weed out fuckers like Bernstein who are like, well, let's just do a little bit. And then that work that does not work. And then you have the real revolution. Like, okay, that was stupid. Let's do it for real this time. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you have that in the Russian example, you have that in, uh, when Castro t- attacked the Moncada barracks in, in Cuba and then, you know, has to, he gets arrested, goes on trial and everything like that was a, that was a failed attempt at a real revolution that he was trying. That was July 26th movement and everything spawned off of that. You're going to have these false starts, but that's fine. Because they prove the point, I guess. Yes. Yeah. It's not a total failure as in like, we shouldn't have done that. It was a failure. And they're like, yeah, we didn't succeed. Right. But it's still, it got more people to our cause. Yeah. That's the thing is it's not really a failure. It's just, well, it is a failure, but it's not like it's we a, shouldn't have a, tried. It's that we lost. Exactly. It's not a regret. <laughs> yeah. Rosa puts it, since the proletariat is not in the position to seize power in any other way than prematurely. Since the proletariat is absolutely obliged to seize power once or several times too early before it can maintain itself in power for good, the objection to the premature conquest of power (laughs) is at bottom nothing more than a general opposition to the aspiration of the proletariat to possess itself of state power. Yeah, I mean, there's not going to be a fucking comet in the sky that's like, today's the day, guys. Like, we're not going to get our fucking star charts to figure this one out. Like, it's just going to happen. It's going to be weird. It's going to happen. And she's like, (laughs) you got to be on board for even the ones that don't look good to really be in the game. I mean, otherwise, you're just a naysayer. All right, moving right along to number nine. Collapse. Everyone's favorite thing, collapse. (laughs) Well, if it's the collapse of capitalism, I'm in. (laughs) <laughs> it is. So Great. a lot of this is a big recap of how poor old Bernstein. This motherfucker. He, can't he like, catch a break. He dug a hole for himself. When did he die? <laughs> what if he died right after this? He did not. When take. did he die? All right, Eddie Bernstein. Oh, oh no, gosh. 1932. He lived longer than her, right? Uh, Yeah, no. Yeah, he's. Damn. By a lot. Because he just looked like such a grandpa, I thought maybe <laughs> he'd read this as a little grandpa heart would give out like, oh, she got me. Nope. Died in 1932. Long life. But this is all, this is a story all about how uh, Bernstein got from capitalism won't collapse to I'm no longer a Marxist, no longer a materialist, no longer a believer in even the existence of classes at all. Cool. And actually, everything is fine and getting better. Okay, so you're a fucking capitalist. <laughs> yeah. No, she, she's just like, this whole chapter is just like, this is a big L for Bernstein, basically. <laughs> and people who think like him. And so, again, not all about Bernstein. Who cares? He died a long time ago. But the people who support him or the people who carry forward those ideas of, like, let's be nice. Let's, let's do things the right way. Or even... The people who say, you know, communism is, is unrealistic, it's, it's you know, a utopia, blah, 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 and want to work within the system. It, it's people it's people of that ilk who say, like, oh, we can fix this. Yes. People who think they're being reasonable. 
And, and she says, basically, this guy, he abandoned scientific socialism and it makes him adrift. He thinks himself intelligent. Here's her, her quote, which I like. He thinks he succeeds in expressing human, general, abstract science, abstract liberalism, abstract morality. But since the society of reality is made up of classes which have diametrically opposed interests, aspirations, and conceptions, a general human science and social questions, an abstract liberalism and abstract morality are at present illusions, pure utopia. The science, the democracy, the morality considered by Bernstein as general, human, and merely the dominant science, dominant democracy, and dominant morality, that is, bourgeois science, bourgeois democracy, bourgeois morality. Basically, she's saying the dude is operating on what he assumes is common sense for everybody. But what is common sense but the dominant ideology of the dominant class? Ursula K. Le Guin said it best. The divine right of kings seemed inevitable. Yeah. You know, seemed like it would go on forever. And like, if you're operating on the system, like you have no reason to believe it's ever going to change. Right. And this is what you're saying earlier about Gramsci's like cultural hegemony of this idea of like there being an accepted common sense. Everyone can agree to this, but really that ideology is the ruling ideology of the ruling class. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so not only that, Bernstein, she says, he attacks dialectics, he supports materialism, and that's bad. It helps the bourgeoisie. That's 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 a really, you know, low energy thing to do. It's not a good look. <laughs> yeah, not a good look. When he directs his keenest arrows against our dialectic system, he is really attacking the specific mode of thought employed by the conscious proletariat in its struggle for liberation. It is an attempt to break the sword that has helped the proletariat to pierce the darkness of its future. It's an attempt to shatter the intellectual arm with the aid of which the proletariat, though materially under the yoke of the bourgeoisie, is yet unable to triumph over the bourgeoisie. For it's our dialectical system that shows to the working class the transitory nature of this yoke, proving to the workers the inevitability of their victory and is already realizing a revolution in the domain of thought. It is bad strategy to shoot at a sword with an arrow. (laughs) (laughs) True. Yeah. It's not going to work. DMs out there. If you ever, if your player ever asks, I would like to sunder the enemy's weapon with my bow and arrow. Just say yes and make them roll with disadvantage. For real. You better get two twenties in a row for that to work. (laughs) And so that wraps up chapter nine. Bernstein taking L's all the way down the list. (laughs) Poor guy. I mean not I don't feel that bad for him, but it's No, he's he's kind of He's a loser. Yeah, these are some stupid ideas. All right. Last (laughs) chapter though, chapter ten. Opportunism in theory and practice. Uh, and here's where she just takes a final shit on Bernstein <laughs> at all. She's like a cat, like kicking the litter over the shit now. Like now to bury my shit. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, Bernstein, opportunists like him, scientific socialism, they hate it because it, it limits what they can do. They're trying to say, oh, what if we do this? And people are like, uh, Marx, Engels, like, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Come on. It says not to do that. And they're like, yeah, but. <laughs> Right. So they came up 
with a theory all their own to be one of the cool kids to fit in and say, yeah, but our theory, it's it's good. <laughs> and she's like, Bernstein, this is the first sample we got of it. How'd it do? Uh, complete <laughs> failure. She's like, it's incompatible with Marxism. It's incompatible with socialism in general. Basically, it pushes the workers to support the bourgeoisie and to stop to paralyze the socialist movement itself. She just said your book is trash. She said it's trash. She said you're just using recycled old ideas and cobbling them together. And those ideas might have been like fine for previous eras and, and, you know, workers movements or whatever in the past. But we're past that now. And, bro, everybody is using scientific socialism. Like, what are you still doing using this shit? (laughs) Wow. Wow. I think she'd give negative stars if she could. Yeah, it's overall a terrible review of Bernstein. (laughs) And she says this is part of a bigger struggle. In proletarian revolutions, they're rough. And she quotes Marx here from the 18th Brumaire, one of his writings about like uh, the French Revolution and all this stuff. I I like it. I always like Marx quotes, so I'm going to put it into the record here. Let's hear it. Bourgeois revolutions, wrote Marx a half century ago like those of the 18th century, rush onward rapidly from success to success. Their stage effects outbid one another. Men and things seem to be set in flaming brilliance. Ecstasy is the prevailing spirit, but they are short-lived. They reach their climax speedily, and then society relapses into a long fit of nervous reaction before it learns how to appropriate the fruits of its period of feverish excitement. Proletarian revolutions, on the contrary, such as those of the 19th century, criticize themselves constantly, constantly interrupt themselves in their own course, come back (laughs) to what seems to have been accomplished in order to start anew, (laughs) scorn with cruel thoroughness the half-measures, weaknesses, and meanness of their first attempts, seem to throw down their adversary only to enable him to draw fresh strength from the earth and again to rise up against them in one more gigantic stature constantly recoil in fear before the undefined monster magnitude of their own objects until finally that situation is created which renders all retreat impossible and conditions themselves cry out hic rotus hic salta here is the rose and here we must dance Ooh, okay (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't expecting latin and a dance invite from that but i'll take it (laughs) So, I don't know, I like that criticism, basically, of proletarian revolutions. Put us on blast. I mean, that that applies to the movement as a whole. Like, we are a a hand-wringing, fretting little bunch. Yeah. (laughs) We make monsters out of everything that we cannot possibly surmount. We let our adversaries right back up as soon as we got them down again. And, yeah, I mean, that's totally how bourgeois revolutions are are painted you know think the american revolution the romanticizing of all that i mean lame is great musical but (laughs) (laughs) romanticized a revolution that did not work (laughs) yeah yeah so you said what stars does rosa give bernstein negative yeah negative so her last concluding statement here for only dialectics and the materialist conception of history magnanimous as they are could make Bernstein appear as an unconscious, predestined instrument, by means of which the rising working class expresses its momentary weakness. But upon closer inspection, 
it throws aside contemptuously and with pride. She's saying we're going to throw this whole man out? Throw this whole man and his whole idea out. (laughs) And throw it aside, basically, with a smile, with contempt. Wow, she threw him in the dumpster. (laughs) She's like, this makes us look weak right now, but thanks to dialectics, thanks to materialist conception history, we're going to take this, we're going to learn from it, we're going to be like, hey... This dude was fucking wrong. That was bullshit. Let's do the opposite of this. Yeah. And we're going to crumple it up, throw it in the trash and laugh. <laughs> Damn, dude. Fucking killed that guy. <laughs> Actually, he killed her, but. Technically, yeah. <laughs> but intellectually. <laughs> yeah. She nuked him from orbit. <laughs> yeah. This was a, a glassing for sure. <laughs> All right, so what'd you, th- well, not what'd you think of the reading itself, but the content <laughs> of it. <laughs> I mean, even the content was still a little dense. Like, I had to have a lot of translations in the moment. Like, okay, fuck, what's the moment of production? Like, you know, that kind of shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, just very economics heavy, which is, you know, not my strong suit. But I still like, I like the content in terms of, like, the, the kernel of it, which is that, like, as tempting as it is, as maybe idealistic as Bernstein himself admits as it is, to want to reform our way out of this, to vote our way out of this, to even union our way out of this, it's gonna kind of have to come to blows, guys. We can't, like, avoid that. Yeah. Like, it is inevitable. I like the kind of the yes and notion of it is, like, we do need to do those things. Yeah, I, I like that. And she's not at all, you know, shitting on those ideas. Like, and we are not either, let's be clear. It's like, yeah, do them for sure. But like, also keep your eye on the prize. <laughs> yeah, realize what is your actual goal in doing those things. Don't ever confuse yourself into thinking like, oh, if I elect this right person, you know, if we get this one union demand, like, this is good. But it's Very not good. what you're actually trying to do. You you have to keep your real goal in mind. Like you said, keep the eye on the prize. You got to get, you know, that that has to be there because otherwise you're just treading water. I mean, I mean, Bernstein, as much as, <laughs> as much we said, don't focus on him individually. He's a really good case study for this because he starts out saying like, oh, no, I'm totally socialist. And like, I want to reform our way to it, though. By the end of it, we're like, this guy's not even a socialist. <laughs> doesn't believe in any of the things we believe in he wants capitalism to continue and thinks it can continue like that's not a socialist y'all right yeah and and that's i think why this i don't think it has to be this long but i think that's why she takes this methodical approach is like here's where my man started let me take down each one of these things in order and so by the end of it you just have this rap sheet of like he said this and so that means this so that means this so that means (laughs) this so yeah it's just like he basically says, no, I'm not a socialist. You know? Like that is the danger of, of relying too much on these, these methods within the system is you start seeing the system as in, unchangeable. You say, I have to work within the system. The system is good. It's common sense that that system is going to be there, will always be there, immutable. Yeah. Yep. Rosa, I appreciated the read. This was good. I can't say that it was like the best written piece. <laughs> Rosa, you can use an editor. Re- yeah, uh, for brevity. But like, no, I, I liked it overall. I found myself really thinking about, you know, and like we were talking about, it does seemingly apply to our modern times. I mean, we still deal with people who are saying, oh, let's, you, you got to rule out violence, first of all, first and foremost. And then we can talk about how we're going to change society. 
And it's like, how do you actually think that's going to happen? They're not going to rule out violence. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even if you vote, they're not going to rule out violence. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think that's, that's a good message even today. Even if you're going with just the abbreviated version, I think it's a good, good message to have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it is beautiful in German. German listeners, let us know. <laughs> maybe it's poetry. They all chime in and like, it sucks worse in German. No. It's twice it's as long. Actually, it's German. actually really hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What are we doing next week? Uh, next week, I believe we are meeting up to shoot the shit. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> So if you're a fan of our more organized episodes, sorry. Take a week off. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we'll catch up on various happenings and whatnot, all that stuff. Sounds great. Cool. All right. I'll uh, see you then. Don't fall into any pits of revisionism in between now and then. <laughs> I'll try not to. <laughs> Don't let anyone sweet talk you into abandoning marxism no because rose is gonna fucking haunt my ass and like tear it up <laughs> are you serious did you hear what they said about historical <laughs> materialism take me a task she's gonna <laughs> publish a pamphlet on twitter posthumous pamphlet <laughs> all right see ya bye Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts. Or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.